chapter 11, Matthew 11, and uh, we're going to uh, continue here. Let me shut this door a little bit, and uh, we're going to, uh, really, we're just going to finish up the chapter this evening, so if it just takes us a little bit, I got a little note up here, slow down, so um, we have... Like we were talking about talking into an empty room, it's kind of hard to slow down. You get on a roll and you get going. But uh, we've, uh, we got down through verse 15 last time. So we, uh, we're going to pick up here in verse 16. In the first part of this chapter, we see the Lord uh, dealing with the issue of John the Baptist and uh, the testimony that the Lord had about John and his ministry. And uh, he is going to continue on here now in verse 16, uh, really with the issues of John, when he says, But whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is like unto the children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows. And that issue there, and, and we're going to see this now, he's introducing this issue here about this generation. There in verse 16, But unto... Shall I liken this generation? And we're going to need to remember this issue because we're going to see it now uh, more and more through the book of Matthew. And as it is something here that we're just going to have to keep in our back of our mind because he's talking about the nation of Israel uh, in the moment. And he's talking about that issue, uh, again, that we've been over repeatedly about the apostate nation. And he, he's going to deal with that issue about the nation that has, and, and again, apostate, apostasy. They've departed from that which God chose them to be. In Isaiah 5, he plants a vine in Judah and Israel. And that vine then grows up. And instead of bringing forth good fruit, it brings forth wild grapes. And as we begin to talk about the wild vine, the apostate nation, and that's that nation here that he's going to describe with this term, this generation. And uh, as he's describing them here, uh, they, they're the nation that has departed from what God wanted them to be. And uh, he's now going to go on in the passage and talk about that little flock and that, that little flock is being produced inside of that nation, and that believing remnant then is the result of the beginning and, and has its beginning with, let me say it like that, with John's ministry, the ministry of the Twelve, Christ, and so forth. So as we kind of come through here, that, that, that's going to be that underlining issue. And he's going to say here in verse 16, that issue about this generation. Now, you can take that word generation in several different ways. One, you can take it as it is in the, 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 the people in the moment. That generation, usually it's 40 years. That's the number everybody uses. Actually, the perfect generation is 30. Uh, actually, 33 if you get specific because it's the Lord. He's that perfect generation numerically. But it's also that word generate, generation. If you look over at John 8, 
You see, this generation was generated by somebody. So it's not always, it's not always talking about uh, time and age. He's also talking about things that are being generated. In, in John 8, if you look there at verse 44, John 8, 44, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is, a li- he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye, be- ye believe me not. You see, that issue there, they had raised that saying, hey, you know, we're, we're a father, Abraham's our father, back up in verse 39. You know, and he says, hey, the- God can reach over there and make out of stones, says that over in Luke. Now of here, then he gets in and he, be, and he says, ye are of your father the devil. That issue of what is generating the apostate nation. Well, it's that issue here of the adversary. So come back to Matthew 11. And as we begin to look here, where, but whereunto I, shall I liken this generation? It is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, We have piped unto you, and ye have not danced. Ye have mourned, we have mourned unto you, and ye have not lamented. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he hath a devil. Now, in verse 15, the idea is this generation's like a bunch of children. It's like a bunch of people sitting in the market and saying, we piped to you, but you didn't dance. We played music, and you didn't dance. You didn't respond to what we were doing. So we thought you were mourning, so we mourned with you, and you know what? You haven't lamented. And, and it's, in other words, it doesn't make any difference what we do. Nothing pleases you guys. And again, I would say, have you ever met someone like that? And the answer is yes. You know, we constantly deal with people that, you know what, you could bend over backwards for them, and it's still not enough. It doesn't please them. And that's what he's saying here. It doesn't make any difference what God does. You don't pay any attention to any of it. And if you look there at verse 18, he says, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he hath a devil. John was separate, separated from the nation. And we talked about that back in chapter 3. He goes out into the wilderness. He spends all of his life out there in his ministry, separated from the, the nation. He's calling out that believing remnant. He's getting all of that said. And you know what they say? He got a devil. He's a madman. He's crazy. Look at that, he's out there going around in camel's hair, and he's eating locusts and honey, and he's all woolly, you know, he's just a, could you imagine big beard, long hair, and he just looks like a madman. And yet, verse 19, the son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, behold, a man gluttonous, and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. Look at that. John's out there wandering around separate, separated, no contact with anybody. 
They say he's mad, he's crazy, he's nuts. You know? Jesus comes now, and he's eating, and he's, he's being labeled a friend of sinners, a friend of the publicans and sinners. He goes out of his way to be kind and compassionate with everyone in Israel. And yet, what do they say about him? You see, the Lord had an opposite lifestyle of John. Neither one of them got the job done. You you can't please them no matter what. God sends John. He sends Christ. They just won't receive the messages. But if you'll notice the end of verse 19, but wisdom is justified of her children. That's interesting there about the wisdom of God here. Wisdom. The the issue of, you know, I did this, make sure, okay. (laughs) You don't know what a gut feeling wrench it is to go, oh, did I unmute myself? (laughs) So, when he says wisdom, all right, so in Scripture, who is wisdom? The Lord Jesus Christ is. And he says, wisdom is justified of her children. When wisdom showed up, her children recognized her. They justified her. They know who she is. And when wisdom came along, the children and the offspring of those that are kin to wisdom, what are they going to do? They're going to say, there's wisdom. And again here, when you think about what we're dealing with here, is, and, and we've done, I've wrote this up on the board before, but we'll do it again. You have the nation of Israel, and she's a vine. And we've planted the vine tree here. And the, when, again, Isaiah 5. Then John the Baptist shows up. Then the Lord Jesus Christ shows up and the 12, and we begin to form this believing remnant, this little flock. These are the children of wisdom. They show up. They, this group out here, they're apostate Israel. They're this generation okay that's who they are what have they done they've rejected John the Baptist they're rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ they won't have either one of them they do away with John they have him thrown in prison we saw that last time they don't want him they won't receive him they won't go rescue him from Herod's jail Now they're not going to receive Jesus Christ. But what did Christ say? But wisdom is justified of her children. And so we have wisdom show up. And wisdom is really, it's it's really a simple thing. Paul talks about the wisdom of God, the hidden wisdom. We understand that wisdom and understanding and knowledge, those gold, silver, and precious stone items. 
Wisdom is simply understanding what God is doing right now. What is God doing here in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? What's he doing? Repent for the kingdom. The kingdom out here, that's where we're headed, is at hand. Now he's going to shift, by the way. And, and we're going to see that here in just a minute. They're going to, the children of wisdom are those who are wise. They recognize the message that God sends them. And when he sends it right to them, they want to become a part of it. They don't just go on like nothing is going on. What are they doing? You got this generation out here, don't you? And they're getting in the little flock. There's some that are going to reject. He's going to tell them here in Acts, get out of that untoward generation. They recognize what's going on. And then they get in. So you've got this wonderful thing about wisdom. But now watch verse 20. Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. He begins to upbraid the cities. And we'll see here in a minute what he's, what's happening here is he's blasting that generation. And that generation of the people out there, you know, he goes, I'm, I'm going to go out here, we're going to go out, and we're going to try to snag them, as many as we can, who will get into the little flock. So he begins to upbraid them. By the way, they just ignore him. They rebel. They reject him. They won't have it. So he says, wisdom, if you were her children, guess what you would do? You would recognize what's going on. He begins to upbraid the cities where most of his mighty works were done. Why? Because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Bethsidia. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. You see, he's saying, if Tyre and Sidon back there, that heath, in that heathen land, when you look at where they're at, if they would have seen what you guys have seen, they would have got right a long time ago. They would have, you know, it's kind of like they'd have got right last, last Wednesday night. What's wrong with you guys this Wednesday night? <laughs> you know, they'd have got it back then. But I say, verse 22, unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, shalt be brought down to hell for if... The mighty works which had been done in thee would have been done in Sodom. It would have remained unto this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. 
what he's doing there is he's saying, look, guys, the evidence, the light, the information is so, it, it's been powerful enough to subdue Tyree and Sidon and even Sodom. And we always like to add and Gomorrah because Sodom and Gomorrah are together. What happened with Sodom? Lot gets run out of town. God laid it waste. It, they would have got right if they had seen all that you guys have seen, they would have repented. But you know what? You didn't. So you're going to... You see how hard they were? The hardness of their heart? How wicked they were? Come over to Luke 11. When we went through Luke, you know, and again, I... I try to remind you, we went through Luke, we went through John, we saw a lot of this in Luke, but how, how they just flat out reject him. They weren't going to get it right. They weren't going to believe him. They were just, boom. Look over at Luke 11 and look at verse 47. Luke eleven forty-seven. Woe unto you, for ye build sepulchers of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. That's a, that's, they're, this generation in the gospel time are a bunch of hypocrites. They build sepulchers, monuments to the prophets that, that their dads killed. Oh, don't you remember, beloved? So, you know, and, and dads, their dad is the one that killed them. Truly, verse 48, ye bear witness that ye allow the deeds of your father. For they indeed killed them, and ye build their sepulchers. Therefore also said, notice, the wisdom of God. I will send them prophets and apostles. They're the twelve. And some of them they shall slay and persecute that the blood of, the, of all the prophets which were shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. Wow, notice that carefully. That's what we're looking at here. He's look, Christ is looking at those guys out there and says, listen, God sent prophets all down the line, all down through our history. And your dad, dad's back there, your forefathers, they just killed them. Your ancestors, they've killed them. And you know what? You're, gonna do, you're doing it here. And the wisdom of God said, I love that. Again, that issue of wisdom, even in Israel's program, the wisdom of God said, I'm going to send all of that, all of that that was, is going to be required of you. You see, you see, by the way, who sent the apostles and prophets? The wisdom of God did. And again, the wisdom is recognizing what God is doing. Wisdom. What God's doing, God's wisdom is, is to be recognized. And the believing remnant recognizes it when this apostate nation out here fails to. Come over to, or come back in Luke to chapter 7, Luke 7. 
verse 28. Notice this. I'm, folks, you, you got to... How does the wisdom... How do the children justify God? How is wisdom justified by some and rejected by others? Well, Luke 7 helps us. Verse 28. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not, not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. We, we saw that back in chapter 11 last week. And all the people that heard him and the publicans, what? Justified God. They said God is right. So what did they do? Being baptized with the baptism of John. John comes along with the message that says, repent, turn, change your mind, stop what you're doing. Hear what God's saying, and now let's go do that. Adjust your thinking from your vo viewpoint, from how the apostate nation thinks. Come on over and let's think how God thinks. And you know what the publicans and the sinners did? Yep, that's what we're going to do right there. They justified God, how? By being baptized with John's baptism. Verse 30, but the Pharisees and lawyers... Again, there's this generation. They rejected the counsel of God against themselves. How? By not being baptized of John, of him. The, that's, <laughs> that issue about John's baptism is very critical, very important. It's the means whereby the believing remnant is identified together. They come through the door. They got to get in through the issue of John's baptism. That's also over there in Hebrews, he talks about Noah and the ark and the eight souls saved by, it's not Hebrews. Well, I mean, it is Hebrews, I think. And, you know, that picture here of baptism gets them into the little flock, the ark, and it gets them through the tribulation and over into the kingdom. And they're going to be the, the, the they're going to go through the trib, and they're going to go into the kingdom, the 70th week of Daniel, and then they're going to be that royal priesthood. They're going to be who Israel is supposed to be. Now, go back to Matthew 11. That's what's happening here. And that's the issue back here is there was enough evidence given to you guys, this generation, that would have convinced Tyre, Sidon, Sodom, but you guys didn't even budge. So it's going to be more tolerable for them in the day of judgment than it's going to be for you. <laughs> and that's that degrees of hell and degrees of punishment that's there. But what's important about this is that the more light you get from God, the greater the light, the greater the understanding, the more information, the greater the word of God to you is, the more you know about what God's wisdom is, then the greater your responsibility is. And that's what he's saying here. 
these cities, they're on their way to hell. They're going to be in the lake of fire along with this generation, okay? But it's going to be better for them than it is for you. Based simply on the issue of how much light these guys had and how much understanding that they then go and rejected. Okay? So that's a tough deal. Verse 20. Go back up to verse 20. Let's just kind of catch some other things in here. Then began he to upbraid the cities. That's the cities of Israel. And he does it because they repented not. Now look at verse 21. Look at the end of the verse. They, uh, uh, Tyre and Sidon, they would, they would have repented long ago. Now, did Tyre and Sidon repent? No. Would they have repented? Yes. Okay. And that's an interesting statement here. They did not, but then it says they, they didn't. Israel, the cities of Israel didn't. But if Tyre and Sidon had heard what you guys heard, they would have repented. And what that does is that is a wonderful verse here that demonstrates that God's wisdom... Come back to 1 Samuel 23. There's something about God's wisdom here and God's foreknowledge that you have to pay attention to. Because this is a, a passage that's going to deal with the issue about, well, how much does God really know? What does he know? And when does he know it? And what kind, you know, they, all people get done up all this kind of stupidity. Okay, God knows all of the possibilities that are possible in every situation. When you're dealing with the foreknowledge of God and what He knows, He knows what they would have done even if they didn't do what they did. God knows where you would have been tonight if you hadn't logged on and watched because we're not meeting, you know, there's, the room's not full. God knows where you would have been if you hadn't logged on tonight and watched, or watching YouTube later, and you were doing something else, God knew that. God understood, understands, He knows all of the possibility, He knows all of the different issues out there, and every move that you might possibly ever make. He knows them, and uh, he's got you covered, if you will. So it doesn't make any difference which one of those routes you choose to take. His word is going to come out right every time because he's God and you are you. So he's, he's got everything covered. And you, know, you see this in the illustration here in 1 Samuel 23. With David. Start up in verse 5. Okay? 1 Samuel 23, 5. So David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their cattle 
and smote them with a great, a great slaughter. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. And it came to pass when Abathar, the son of, a, of Ahimelech, fled to David to Keilah, that he came down with an ephod in his hand. And it was told Saul that David was come to Keilah. And Saul said, God hath delivered him into my hand, and he shut in by entering into a town that hath gates and bars. Saul thinks he's got David boxed in. Okay? And Saul called all the people together to war to go to, down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. So Saul thinks he's got David. So he calls all the guys, Let's, we're going to go down there and we're going to fight David now. And David knew that Saul secretly practiced mischief against him and said to Abathar, the priest, bring hither the ephod. So he's got the ephod, and he's going to, he's, so now David's going to talk to the Lord. Then said David, O Lord of God of Israel, thy servant hath certainly heard that Saul seeketh to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Watch. Will the men of Keilah deliver me up into his hand? Will Saul come down as thy servant hath heard? Notice David is very specific in what he's asking. O Lord God of Israel, I beseech thee, tell thy servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. That will be Saul. Then said David, Will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they shall deliver thee up. What's going to happen? David's down there. He goes to the Lord. The Lord says, yep, he's going to come. And yes, they're going to be turncoats. Verse 12. Then said David, will the, uh, verse 13, I'm sorry. Then David and his men, which were about 600, arose and got ready for war. No, what did David decide to do? He's got information. He decided to depart out of Keilah and went whithersoever they could go. And it was told Saul that David was escaped from Keilah and he forbear to go forth. Oh, look, God's a liar. No. David asked specifically, is he coming? Will, will they turn? And God said, yes. David, based on the wisdom given to him, said, let's go. He left. What did God know? God knew that if David stayed, Saul would come and there would be a battle. But he also knew that if David left, Saul wasn't going to go down there. Now, that's important when you come back to Matthew 11. God understood all of the possibilities, even to the things that didn't come about. You see, God knows what would happen if David stayed there, and God knows what would happen if David left. God knows what would happen if what you did, you didn't do. You did something else. So when you come back to Matthew 11, verse 20 through 23 here, at the end there of verse 21, they would have repented. Guess what he said of Sodom? Sodom, same thing. Verse 
23. He says there, if what, uh, in the middle of the verse, sorry, for if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. They would have repented. repented. It would have been there today. Now, that is what God says. That's, it gets back to what I've been telling for the last 20 years. <laughs> you got to believe what the verses say. The verses says that God, and, and God is, dim, he says, listen, they would have repented. If they had seen the evidence you saw, they would have, then what would have happened? They would have repented. It would have, that's what would have happened. What this verse does is it helps you to adjust your thinking when it comes to that commonly called doctrine out there of the doctrine of election, that issue of Calvinism. That verse says that the people who would have repented didn't repent. And if the doctrine that says only the elect can repent, then Tyre and Sidon were elect because they would have repented, yet they wound up in hell anyway. So what do you do if only the elect can repent? See, you you just get this jumbled mess. Well, Tyre and Sidon were elect because they would have repented. And yet you have the would-be elect lost going to hell. It doesn't work. you got to let the verses... That's why I told you that term election does not refer any time, any place in Scripture to the issue of salvation. And what what Matthew 11, 21 here is, is it's a classic proof text about this issue, and, and it really destroys the issue that the elect can never be lost because that verse said that had they had the same evidence they would have repented by the way that knocking was me (laughs) okay you see folks when you think about the issues of calvinism it's it's man-made theology People say, oh, Rick, you don't believe in election. I do believe in election, but Bible election, biblical election, election that belongs in Scripture, not out in some book over here or over there. And I've done studies on on Calvinism for a long time. (laughs) And uh, they hate the Bible, and they hate the Bible rightly divided even more. So you've got to, what does that verse say? That verse says they would have repented long ago if they had the same evidence. They didn't. They rejected it. They're in hell. So if you say the elect has to do with salvation, then you've got elect people going to hell. You've got trouble. You've got confusion. And uh, the simplicity that's in Christ goes away. Now notice Matthew 11. Notice verse 25. At that time. Notice the time elements here. Verse 20, Then began he to upbraid the cities 
Matthew eleven twenty five. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Now, verse 27 is a classic verse on the deity of Christ. There is not anyone else that ever lived on the face of the earth that could ever make that statement. If they did, you'd think they were nuts. Nobody would have believed them. But Christ did. And Christ got people to believe it. And he's the only one to ever say that and, get any, any, and, and to cause people to believe him. Nobody else knows. No man save the Son. I mean, no man knoweth, well, let's read the verse. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. It's a great statement of them knowing each other. Back up to verse 25. Notice at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. That is the Lord's sense of humor. Okay? The Lord has a sense of humor. You can say it's sarcasm, but it's not. Basically what he's saying, thank you, Lord, for hiding it from the Ph.D. guys over there and giving it to us little simpletons over here. It, it's, it's, it, it, it's the Lord's humor. Um, <laughs> he, 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 the Lord does laugh. He does, he, over in Luke 10, he says that Jesus rejoiced in his spirit. He's happy, <laughs> okay, and said, I thank thee, O Father. He does some things. So he, he has some humor. I got blasted from February about having humor and telling a few jokes in the beginning and the guy, rather rudely, quite honestly, oh, so that's how you entertain, huh? I'm like, whatever, dude, you know, it's just idiots. But, you know, it's like the guy standing on the, the uh, scales in the bathroom, and he sucks in his stomach, and his wife walks by and says, that isn't going to help. He goes, well, it does to see the numbers. <laughs> okay? There's some humor here. And the humor. I, I saw that one today. I, sorry, that, I thought that was funny. Because I had to say it tonight or else I wouldn't remember it for Sunday. See, he, he does he, some, something that he, he, the Lord's just looking at this and he just cracks a joke here. That's, that's what he's doing here. And, you know, you got to appreciate what he's doing here. Come on. Look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You know, he, he says, look, Lord, I thank you, Lord. Father, you gave the will. You have hid those things from the wise and prudent and has revealed them unto babes. You know what? You gave us your wisdom. You, you hid it from those guys. And you gave it to us over here. Now, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Because Paul has some insight into this. Okay? 
1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19. Well, verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. That's what we're talking about. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? How does he do that? Verse 21, for after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. After that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It is God's genius to fix it so that the world by its wisdom, its philosophy, its genius, its mental capacity could not find it, but it pleased God. You see, the sovereign free will of God, you hear that one, by the way, in all the Calvinistic talk, is that it pleased Him, it pleased God, by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. You want to know what God's sovereign free will is about, salvation, it's a, <laughs> there it is. It pleased God. The sovereign free will of God is to save them that believe. Now, that's a wonderful thing to understand. By the foolishness of you, we can't get there. What did we have to do? We had to just simply trust Christ. The wisdom of God said, and grace, that's why grace kicks against man so bad, is because grace says, he did it all, you don't have to do anything. The wisdom of the world says, give me something to do, and I'll get in there, and I'll get her done. And God's grace says, nope. God's wisdom says, no, you can't do anything. You can't do anything at all. Come back to Matthew 11. He has done it all. He, verse 25, he backs up and he just says, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent. Now, by the way, we're going to start now in chapter 12, really in more than 13, about some parables, where he's going to start talking in parables so the little flock get it, and these wise guys over here don't get it. See? But then he, he says that the end of that verse 25 has revealed them unto babes. Now come over to Matthew 16 and notice the babes, the babies. Matthew 16, verse 17 and 18. Matthew 16, 17, And Jesus answered and said unto him, talking to Simon Peter, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. See, there you have Simon, and, and he says what? You didn't know it. My, the Father revealed it to you. 
So what do you have people say about Peter? He's a blockhead. He don't know nothing. See, look, he couldn't even figure it out. There it is. Now come over to Acts 4 and just kind of think about this. That's what they're saying. Acts 4. Look at Acts 4, verse 13. Peter and John, they just healed the, the lame man in chapter 3. Now they're up against the Sanhedrin. They're up against the council. Verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Here are, here's the religious leadership. And what do they call Peter and John? Unlearned and ignorant men. They didn't go to their school. Where have you been? Yeah, I was looking online earlier, or earlier in the week at some stuff, and uh, the guy was talking about his DD, he, how he got his doctrine of divinity, but DD, dumb dog. <laughs> PhD, post hole digger, you know. I, I think about those things from dad, you know, really. You know, it just... Uh, Anyway, THD, got too many, you know, too many degrees behind your name. You can't figure, you know, you, more than your temperature is. What do they say here? You see, the wisdom of men says, you didn't go to our school, you're ignorant and you're unlearned, and yet the wisdom of God says, hey, they've been with Jesus. They're where they're supposed to be. Now, it's an interesting thing about this. Come back to John 7, because they said that of Peter... And John, they say it of the 12, really. Look at John 7 and verse number uh, 14. Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught, and the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man's letters, having never learned? Look at it, they say it of Jesus, too. You never went to school. Where's your diploma? His letters. 16, Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. <laughs> I learned from the right guy. And you come over there to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians 12. On your way, stop in 10. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 10, talking about Paul. For his letters, say they, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Chapter 12, 2 Corinthians 12, look at verse 11. I am become a fool in glorying. Ye have compelled me, for I ought to have, commended, uh, have been commended of you, for in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostle though I be nothing. You see, you come back to chapter 11, and look at verse 5. For I suppose I was not a whit behind the very chiefest apostle, but though I be rude in speech and yet not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly made manifest among you and all. See, even Paul says, the chiefest apostle, that's Peter. But even there, they're they're they're. they're Messing with Paul, saying, where'd you go to school? Well, he sat at the feet of Gamaliel. They know that. They really can't say, what school did you go to? But they're digging on him that he's nobody. He doesn't know anything. 
Now come back to Matthew 11, and let's, Matthew 11, and get on down through the thing here. At that time, verse 25, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. At that time. Well, what time is, was it? Well, if you go back up there to verse 3 and 4, it's the time when John was doubting and wondering about him. He's been in prison. It was the time in verse 16, 17, and 18 when the nation, that generation, this generation, rejected him. It's the time in verse 20 to 24 uh, of their refusal. It's a terrible time in the life of Christ. And there's some real important happenings here in the passage. And you know, the, uh, the, by the way, this is where the old-time Bible teachers used to say was the fall of Israel took place, was right here. Because they recognized that the nation, that the time was there, what was going on was the time of the rejection of Christ was right here. Now, we know better today. But that's what they, because we're going to go into chapter 12 next time and that they're going to reject him. They're going to reject him as the prophet, the priest, and the king. It's going to be a complete rejection of the Messiah that's taking place. And when that begins to take place, they refuse him. They won't do anything to do, have anything to do with him. They turn their backs on him. So the Lord's going to find his rest and just being submissive to the Father's will. He's just going to look up to the Father and say, I thank you, Father, for all this out the here, and uh, I'm going to keep on going. So it, his rest, he, you know, the Lord rests in an understanding of what the Father's will and word was. And literally when he gets down there to verse 28, He's going to lay it out for them now. The rejection is happening at that time. At the time of him being completely, I mean, John's guys are doubt. John's going, who are you? No one's listening. Everybody's rejecting him. He's being completely gone. And he says, come unto me, all ye that are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Boy, isn't that interesting. All of this is going on, and the, he, the emphasis now is, come unto me. Previously, he had been preaching, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now he's changing the gears, and he's saying, I'm the issue. Come unto me. John 15 there, verse 1, he says, I am the true vine. He tells the apostles, abide in me and I in you, that when you go forth, you're going to bring forth fruit. You see, now he's going to shift the gear and he says, I'm the issue because I'm the true nation. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. All, ye, all you guys out there that are working under that old covenant, labor, heavy laden, all, all ye that are 
filled with the strivings of self-effort, and I'll give you rest. That's the great subject over there. You read in, in Hebrews 4, rest, rest. By the way, he's talking about millennial rest, kingdom rest. But it's more than that. You see, before you get to the, I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. That, where are they going to find that rest? In the kingdom over there. That soul, their soul is that's striving. And he says, I'll show you how to take care of that. Where are you going to have rest? You have it just like he does. In being submissive to God's will, to God's word, to to the program that God's doing. Take my yoke upon you. Oh, man, everybody. You go back there to chapter 10, verse 38. And what does he say there at the end of chapter 10? And he that taketh not his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Take my yoke upon you. You know what his yoke is? He says it's easy, verse 30, 1130. And my burden is like... His yoke is a yoke of submission. His burden is a burden of rejection. That's what is happening to him here. People say, take up that cross and follow me. And everybody goes, see, look, I'm bearing my cross. It has nothing to do about tragedy in your life or sickness or in today, the COVID-19. Oh, my goodness. Ah! It has nothing to do with that. Rather, what he's saying is, that, man, take up your cross and follow me. Take up, my yoke is easy, my burden's light. He's talking about rejection. He's talking about if you won't follow me in my rejection, if you don't come out here and be a part of that rejected remnant, if you don't come out and be identified with me, you won't get in to that kingdom over there. He says, come, take my yoke, my yoke of rejection. And that's that burden. And that's the burden that the Father gave him to bear. Come join me. That's what, come unto me. Come on, join me. Learn of me. Boy, you want to learn how it is to bear for these guys, you go and look back at verse 25, 26, and 27. You learn how he did it. How did he do it? In by just simply being complete and totally submissive to the will and the word of, of the Father. Christ here has just manifested the, the most entire submission in the Father's will that you could ever want to see. And when he did it, he found perfect rest for himself. So he looks over and he says, come, learn of me. I'll show you how to get through the tired times that are coming. I'll show you how to get through the difficulties. I'll show you how to get through the rejection. I'll show you how to get through the problems. Come, learn of me. 
and you'll find rest for your soul, under your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. The yoke of his rejection, the burden of his rejection is easy in life. Boy, Paul tells us our, but for our trouble is just for a light. It's just light. It's for the moment, the affliction. Our, uh, our light affliction, I'm trying to get the verse straight. Our light affliction is but for a moment. When you look at what's going on now compared to what's going to happen in eternity, this is nothing. That's what he's talking about here. The writer in Hebrews 12, verse 2, talks about Jesus Christ being the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, sat down at the majesty of the right hand of the majesty on high. Man, that's what he's talking about. Take my yoke up. And again here, this is, he's getting ready to go forward now and to demonstrate his rejection completely. And again, this is a great passage. And for Israel, a great invitation that we're now going to see in the next chapter of how the Lord is rejected. Israel rejects him. Israel rejects not just the kingdom, but they reject him as he offers himself to them. We'll see that. Then he's going to go outside of the house in chapter 13. He's going to, again, house, Israel. He's going to move outside. And he begins to speak in parables so that the babes get it and the apostate generation, the apostate nation can't understand it and we'll start there next time but Matthew 11 is where most of the old time preachers people back in the day I've read their books and and read where they say this is where Israel fell because they reject him completely and totally chapter 11 and 12 now we know better I understand that and they Romans 11 should they, they stumbled, but they didn't fall. They, they're not falling here. They're stumbling here. Then they fall. So you've got to remember Romans 11, 11, okay? All right, next week we'll pick up in chapter 12 and move on down through and kind of keep going. And, and again, I, I'm just, we're not delving into all of the details because Luke, we did that a lot in Luke. And uh, I know it's not on YouTube but it is in the Dropbox off of the website, and we spend a lot of more time there digging, in, digging out the dirt. And Matthew is more proclamation. Here's what the king, all about that king. So we keep it above the dirt level, okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word, Lord. And above all, we just thank you for who we are in your son, for every, everything that you've given to us. Though we didn't deserve it, not I, but Christ. We'll just trust in Him and everything that He's done for us. In your name we pray. Amen.